0: Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting. Like i am right now the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality what makes uplift desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace with options to customize from over a hundred desktop materials and a plethora of accessories uplift desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours promoting better posture and movement throughout the day and here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today go to upliftdesk.com timecrafting for five percent off your order that's up slash desk.com timecrafting to get five percent off your entire order your health your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game changer. I can't do without 1Password, And I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer. One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top tier security with an award winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see one password isn't just about convenience it's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets it works seamlessly across all your devices filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click and the best part all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders, or having that notebook that says, Passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection. Specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations, CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late-night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster. It's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored, with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game-changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy-one-get-one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash TimeCrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. I'm Mike Vardy, and this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show... I speak with Andy Malinsky. He's the author of the book Reach, a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence. He's a professor, author, clearly, as you heard, thought leader and business coach, and he's been featured in the Harvard Business Review, Inc. Magazine, Psychology Today, the the list goes on and on. And what he does is he helps people develop the insights and courage necessary to act outside their personal and cultural comfort zones when doing important but challenging tasks and work and life. And we dive into the elements of that in his book, Reach, as well as, you know, like those five key challenges that are kind of underlining our avoidance tendencies. We talk about the three C's approach to reaching outside your comfort zone. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's just get right to it. Here's my conversation with Andy Malinsky here on the Productivityist podcast. I'd like to welcome Andy Malinsky to the Productivityist podcast. Andy, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: So you are the author of the book, reach a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge and build confidence. And I want to dive into, um, right. Let's get, let's get, let's get uncomfortable right away. Let's, get, let's For me, let's, you know, I mean, I want to, one of the things that, that I think a lot of people, uh, struggle with, at least when it comes to to personal productivity. And I, we, we touched on this just as we were getting underway, um, is this idea of of mindset changing and changing your mindset and looking at things from a different angle because we're so used to the way we approach things that when we start to explore new ideas or new ways of tackling our, our, our to-do list or really anything, um, we get that friction. Um, can you tell me a little bit about um, not only – I mean, we can dive in a little bit about yourself, but I covered that in the opening, uh, but more about what how reach can help people – and how you help people kind of get past that 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 mindset shift of you know, hey, it's it's okay to reach beyond your comfort zone because that's where a lot of the that, that's where the magic can happen.
1: Yeah, so I think from a productivity, first of all, thanks for having me on. But uh, from a productivity perspective, I think the big one is the fact that we're really good at avoiding things outside our comfort zone. So if you have uh, if you are afraid of networking. Or public speaking or pitching or promoting yourself or making small talk with someone or delivering bad news or being assertive or speaking your mind or whatever it might be there you know there, there's a million things that that um, that we encounter in our day to day lives, our weekly work lives, and I think that a lot of people, I found this actually in my research. And I'm happy to talk to you about you know the research behind the book, but but people are incredible avoiders, right? So mm-hmm. if something if, if something's uncomfortable to us, we'll avoid it. And and there's 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 a good thing about avoidance, and that's why we do it, which is relief. You get to you you get the temporary relief of Oof, I don't have to do that. But at the same time, obviously, it makes it harder the next time around. And from a productivity perspective, it's The opposite of being productive, right? So, if you can develop the capacity to step outside your comfort zone, it becomes sort of a productivity superpower in some ways, right? Because. You're able to approach when every bone in your body is saying avoid and think of the time and the that you're going to ultimately uh, save uh, uh, by avoiding procrastination, you know, by actually attacking things and learning to do things that you know are important for your life and for your business, but that you maybe have either consciously or subconsciously been avoiding.
0: Let's talk about avoidance a little bit. And, and I mean, one of the things that, that I think is and, and the research behind it is this idea that one of the things that that I think I got from the book was the idea that what sets sets successful people apart is their willingness. You know, th- is fear. Like w- people who are going to be successful are willing to you know look at fear, face it, and move forward anyway. Whereas, um, you know, those who don't, they they, they they like you said, there's some avoidance there. What are some of the research that you found when it comes to to not just avoidance but this idea of how fear? can either hold us back or if we, you know, move forward in the face of it, how, you know, dealing with it can move us forward.
1: Yeah. So let me just say, and, and uh, yeah, I'll, I can, I can address that for sure. I just want to say one quick word about, about who, who where this is based on, because sure. this is actually, so, so this is actually my research uh, for, so for the book reach um, I interviewed or spoke with um, anywhere from uh, 75 to a hundred people in all sorts of professions. So you're talking, entrepreneurs, executives, managers, but also I I broadened it. Uh police officers, doctors, uh students, uh, rabbis, priests, even a goat farmer. I mean you 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 name it. I spoke with them about all sorts of situations about outside their comfort zone. I also teach and train and coach people to step outside their comfort zone. So I've seen it firsthand. And then of course I've reflected on my own experience. So those are like plus I'm I'm a I'm I'm a professor of organizational behavior and Psychology, so I have my finger on the pulse of, of research as well. So you know, including my own. So so I've, so that's where that's where it all comes from. In terms of fear, your question, um, what I found uh, in my work uh, and that I talk about in my book Reach is uh, is that people uh, tend to uh, experience one or more of five different pain points, I would call them, that essentially are what we're what we can sort of colloquially call fear. So, for example, people oftentimes feel a threat to their authenticity. The feeling that if they're trying something new that's outside their comfort zone, you're pitching to a new potential audience. You're trying to get, you know, you're trying to go into a networking event and, and, and sort of like, you know, talk about yourself and your business. And that's just not who you are. And that's not comfortable to you. You can feel inauthentic. Um, other times people feel, uh, worry. A second pain point is likability. That, that if they act I don't know, more assertively than they're used to because they know they need to or if they deliver that bad news that they really know they need to do, they're worried that they will not be liked that they'll be hated. So so, so remember, you're stepping outside your comfort zone. You're experimenting with a new version of yourself or at least a new task or a new behavior or something outside your you know, comfort zone. So, so authenticity, likability. A third one is competence. Uh, I'm gonna be bad at this. The worry that I'll, I'll, I'll be bad at this, let's say it's public speaking. Like I'm gonna make a fool out of myself. And by the way, there's a public and a private side to that. The, the, the private side, I'll feel like a fool. I'll feel like I'm really bad at this. And the public side, I'll, I'll know that other people see me like that. Mm-hmm. So you got you know threats to your authenticity, to your likability, to your competence. And I also found two more, uh, resentment and morality. Resentment meaning, uh, logically speaking, you know you need to do this, whatever it might be. But psychologically, you might feel resentful that you have to do whatever it is that, that entails stepping outside your comfort zone. For example, you're shy, you're at work you're an awesome, like you're great at your job, but it seems that the people who are able to get those great assignments at work are a bit more able to kind of make small talk with the boss and schmooze with the boss. And It's just kind of not your thing. But then you see them doing that and you see to yourself, oh gosh, I have to step up my, outside my comfort zone to do this and that's, and, and it's not my like skills and abilities. It's like, the fact that I have to do that, you can feel resentful about that. And then morality, I actually opened my book with the story of a, a young woman, an entrepreneur, who um, started a company and then a couple months later realized she she had to fire her best friend from the company. So, and she felt like that she was doing something wrong when stepping outside her comfort zone. So you got, so you asked about fear, And i have sort of like recast it a little bit into these pain points, and it can come from any number of these. Uh, I would say the most common are authenticity, confidence, and likability. You know, this doesn't feel like me, I'm worried people won't like me, and I'm bad at this. Some combination of those kind of keeps us uh, in our comfort zones and away from trying to step outside of them.
0: Is there one in particular during your research that you found kind of reared its ugly head more than the others, the one that kind of... Has the longest bit of staying power or did it was it really dependent on what what, if if not, what was the what were the factors that kind of uh, made that, you know, uh, were the factors that kind of said, hey, you know, this is why this one is a particular uh, barrier for one person rather than another.
1: I think it depends a lot on the tasks we're talking about, like the specific situations and tasks and also people's personalities and kind of the intersection between the two mm-hmm. but i go and I go into companies as well and I do workshops on helping. Uh, people step outside their comfort zone and sort of realize their best self and so on and so forth and 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 this actually ends up being a really interesting topic for a lot of companies uh, and the one the big three are the ones that come up time and time again I actually do a group exercise where in groups people think of situations and stories and examples for them and then as a group they sort of chart how many people in my group you know felt or experienced a threat to their authenticity how many to likability and so on and the ones that pop up time and time again are the Big, what I call the big three authenticity, competence, and, um, and, and likability. And, and you've heard of the imposter syndrome, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, that, and, and I think that in some ways that's sort of like a vicious cocktail between those, you know, <laughs> like,
0: you know <laughs> uh-huh. yep. like,
1: so, 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 so that's, that's what I see. But again, it really depends on, on what situation we're talking about, uh, the personality and the context.
0: So, uh, with, with companies, would you find that even resentment would rear its head too, because of the fact that people are asked to being change to change and adapt when it's it's the larger culture that's asked them to do it rather than them? Would that be another one that? I mean, that to me, when I worked at Costco, there was a few things. I mean, I loved working for Costco, but when I worked for a large, when I worked for them. And they made some institutionalized change. It was kind of like that was one that would be like, why? Uh, this is this is beyond what I'm this is not what I'm used to. This is not what yeah. it, you know. It, would that be one to because. I mean yeah.
1: no question. When something's imposed on you, mm-hmm. um, n- no question. You can feel resentment. And people have a, actually I find people have a hard time um Naming resentment, owning resentment—they very quickly go to, "Oh well, I, no, of course I have to do this." Or like, in some ways, people feel—I often think they sometimes feel embarrassed about admitting that they feel resentful, and it, and it can be a—it um, can be something that's subconscious too. Like you're not, you know, you can feel resentment and not really realize you're feeling it. But then when you do, when you do an exercise like this, you're like, "Oh yeah." That, <laughs> Yeah, that, kind of, that makes sense. Yeah, right?
0: <laughs> and, and, and it seems like resentment and morality would would almost butt heads as well because uh, the idea that, like you were just saying, is that if resentment, if you're if you're kind of a, you know, you're not really owning that, maybe it's the morality that kind of comes in. Well, you know, I, I should really, like you said, it should uh, maybe it, it feels bad not to not to even admit that. So those almost seem like they could they could be uh, they could go against each other almost in, in a manner of speaking.
1: Yeah, they could and. Again, it really depends on the situation. Right. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about uh, performing layoffs, delivering bad news, firing people. Uh, I studied uh, police officers actually evicting people from their homes. I did a ride-along for a day, and and I was in the cop car with a bulletproof vest and everything. As, as the two police officers evicted twenty people or families from their homes, and I saw all this firsthand. And yes, there these are sort of somewhat unusual professions. But I also, of course, interviewed and worked with managers and executives and entrepreneurs, sort of are more typical professions and you see this across the board people were experiencing all these things morality included you know feeling like this is now in their case they're required to perform these evictions but they were right by the state Mm -hmm. and and, but, but they were and by the way in this case another aspect of it is that um is that it's not just the needs and experiences and feelings of the people being evicted. It's also the landlords, you know, that they, the landlords are trying to support their families with, with these, with these apartments, let's say. And if people are not paying their rent, that's the landlord's families who aren't eating. So, so there's, it's a, it's a complex situation, but, but in the moment, face to face with a you know, the light shining down, you actually see someone in, in that moment. You can, you can feel, you can feel like you're you, like, is this right? Should we be doing this?
0: When you're putting this book together, let's use you as an example because you obviously went through and met a lot of people, did a lot of research. When you were writing this book, did any of these did did you feel like you were reaching beyond your comfort zone? And if so, which were the ones? Like, did it was it imposter syndrome that maybe showed? I know I I have whenever I'm working on something creative or when I'm writing a book or when I'm working on something like that, that's the thing that kind of goes. Well, you know, I could just make a blog post about this rather. Why don't I just do a bunch of blogs rather than write the book? Like, is there how does this show up for you? And and then. I want you to, cause I know that there's a way that you can kind of reach beyond your, like reach outside your comfort zone. And then I want to dive into that a little bit because, uh, I think that, you know, un- recognizing it is important, but then how do you go beyond and how do you, how do you get there?
1: Yeah. I always say that the book and I give keynote talks and so on. And it's like, if I just stopped at the point where I described the problems and the challenges, <laughs> it would be really depressing, uh, you know incomplete uh, discussion, so yes, I focus a lot on helping people, but yeah, for me you know they're they're uh, I think the the irony, and in fact, when I do my keynote and I've done you know I do keynotes in a lot of different places i I begin every single keynote by kind of with a personal reveal about you know it's it's a bit ironic that I'm the guy who wrote the book on comfort zones but and how to step out of them, but I'm the one also who struggles and has struggled doing it. But, you know, in a way I sort of feel like I have my finger on the pulse a bit of, of, of the challenges. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a big one for me is public speaking always has been always challenging, uh, you know, public speaking now sort of 25 years into my career. Um, I, uh, I have very little problem with public speaking. And so I'm a professor as well, and I'm speaking in front of MBA students you know, multiple times a week. And when you do that over 25 years, you get really used to public speaking, but also keynotes and companies and so on and so forth. But early on, like, you know, rewind 20 years ago, I was terrified of public speaking. I remember I, my first job, I was a professor at USC, University of Southern California in LA. I remember getting offers by co- from companies. Now, I was pretty young at that point, um, getting offers to do keynotes, not because I was great or anything, but I think because I was like a professor from USC. And I had a particular expertise um, and I, I got these, these these offers for keynotes from big companies like you know, Fox or something like that. I remember so well getting one, one call from Fox saying something like, oh, can you, you know, do this keynote uh, for, for our top, I don't know, top executives or whatever on October 14th. And like I would look at my calendar and you know, October 14th was completely open. There was nothing on October 14th. and and, and But I had to say to them, I, I lied. I, I said, you know, oh gosh, you know, that day, that's just not going to work for me. And I, I was terrified of doing it. And of course, in that moment, I was hoping and praying they wouldn't say, oh yeah, well, no, the 13th works, the 15th works, you know, like, So, so I, so I've always struggled. Um, and I, I, we can talk when we talk a little bit about, you know, how to overcome this stuff. I can tell you how I overcame that and how that's connected to what I found others did too.
0: Yeah, let's dive into that. Because I mean, I think that that, you know, once, like I said, once you're aware, and once you recognize, hey, you know, this is, and I think, again, this boils down to awareness, a lot of people don't take time to sit with the And I say this a lot, I say, you know, time management and productivity, personal productivity, especially, is about, you know, it's not about moving forward constantly. It's about, you know, taking time and recognizing what to do. And building self-awareness and, and intention and, and paying attention. So once you start to do that and you realize, hey, you know what? I, I find that I'm I'm you know I'm not reaching, I'm not reaching outside of my comfort zone. What how and you talk about this in the book, there's there's like a certain approach that you take. So what what is that and how how does that play out?
1: Yeah, so so what I found is that they were, and this isn't just me, this is what I found distinguished, you know, successful people from unsuccessful people. In other words, people who were able to take that leap. I found it boiled down to three different, you know, tools that people ultimately used, um, strategies, you could call them. So the, the first was conviction. Um, and this, this was the idea of developing... Um, a deep sense of purpose about the why, why why this matters to you. Um, it ended up becoming a, a and, and this, this, by the way, is very subjective, and it doesn't sort of, you don't snap your fingers and come to it. It's something that, that 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 people really need to take a little bit of time to understand or realize. But once you do, and once you grasp onto that, it becomes very powerful. It's like the wind at your back. It's almost like an antidote to avoidance. It gives you that sort of deep sense of purpose. And it doesn't erase your discomfort, by the way, but what it does is it gives you that motivation and drive and sense of purpose to take action despite discomfort. And in the end, that's what courage is about, by the way. Courage is the ability to take, it's not the absence of fear or anxiety, it's the ability to take action in spite of the fear or anxiety. And so conviction can come from a lot of different places. It can come, you know, professionally, professionally, you know, I've always wanted to be a manager. I've always wanted to be a leader. I've always wanted to start my own business. It could come more personally. I'm doing this to support my family or I am a dad and I am trying to, this is, this actually is, is for me often. Like I'm, I try to, I have two kids. I try to coax them outside their comfort zones, you know, at an age or
0: how old are your kids? Uh, 11 and 13. So, yeah, but but mine mine are 13 and and 7. So, yeah, as a parent, as a dad, I can definitely see how this plays in. But continue. Yes
1: yeah, well, because, you know, you're trying to coax, your, like, so for instance, your kid doesn't want to try a new activity unless they have friends there or something. And right. well, you try, you, you might try to coax them to step outside their comfort zone and try it, even if they don't have friends there. And, you know, the, the, I think we have learned these things early on. And so, but what I'm saying is that I am trying to do that with my kids, you know, and in my wife as well. And, it, but then I look at myself in the mirror and I, if I'm not practicing what I preach, that ends up being a very powerful source of conviction for me to, 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 to practice what I preach. So my point here is that wherever it comes from, find, embrace that source of conviction because it's, it's, it's a very powerful resource and we all have it. You just need to kind of locate it. Uh, so that's, that's the first um, strategy I found people used who were, who were successful.
0: Perfect. What's interesting, you mentioned the kids option, which I think is funny. I mean, my son who's seven and you you've, you've gone through this uh, age twice. Now I've gone through it once. My daughter was really easy at getting her to do certain things like chores and stuff. As you mentioned um, this, I'm thinking that resentment factor comes up with my son, where it's like, Hey, you know, you should try. I can't do recycling. It gets like the anger shows up because I think it's, yeah. a, it's a lack of maturity. I think, and I think um, when you're looking at if you're trying to do this with your kids, I think that this kind of model, you, you could look at it and say, OK, well, what? Oh, well, either the, the, there's a resentment factor or there's a competence factor. Right. Like like you said, you know, where it's like, hey, I don't know how to do this. And I think there's there's an element of when you're looking at at, at especially the, the 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 approach that you're taking is there you remove it's you remove that emotional component from it. When you when you step back, but then the conviction part is that deep sense of purpose where emotion is 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 more uh, there, there's a definitely more of a tie to it, wouldn't you say? Like you know, so it's almost like the the emotional part is the 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 conviction and, and those strategies that you can take versus the part that is when you step back and look at the you know the five kind of challenges. That's where you don't you almost don't want emotion to be involved because you, you know it clouds your judgment a bit.
1: Yeah, you're. I mean, when you're looking at the five challenges, you're kind of you're trying to step back analytically. You're taking right. sort of a, a cognitive analytical frame to, to something. By the way, that's emotional. Those five mm-hmm. challenges are are deeply emotional. Mm-hmm. But 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 then but then almost like using almost like leveraging emotion is the is the conviction piece. Um, so 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 I'll, I'll mention a second strategy, and this, yeah. this sec, second strategy is probably. I think it's probably like the most, the most powerful one that I found. I think conviction is quite powerful too. But the second strategy is the most powerful and also I think the most surprising for me and almost like the most exciting too. And it's called, I call it customization. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the idea, like the analogy I use, and I'll describe you know some examples, but the analogy I use is like, is, is, is like going to a tailor, buying a pair of pants off the rack. So you buy a pair of pants, it doesn't quite fit you. Maybe it's too tight, too loose, too short on the legs, whatever it might be. You bring it to a tailor and they kind of tweak it to fit you a little bit better. And that's a metaphor And the idea here is that when people are stepping outside their comfort zones, when all of us are, you know, you can feel kind of powerless, right? It's kind of scary for the reasons we talked about earlier. And so what I find though is that people have more power than they think to actually customize and personalize and tweak a situation to make it fit just a little bit better. Uh, and you can do this in all sorts of ways. You can do it through what you say. You can do it through your body language. You can do it through props. Like, so I'll give you an example back to what we talked about with um, public speaking. Uh, so so, so I actually, so, so I've done a lot of these customizations with public speaking. Early on, I realized if I speak with a corporate audience, it's really important for me to see the room before I go, before I speak. Mm-hmm. So I go see see the room. I also try to meet a few people early on. So that, I, so that instead of um, speaking to a, to a group of unknowns, uh, sort of a big scary group of unknown people, it's now a group of people who are unknown but a couple I do know. And so it puts me at ease. Um, I also early on and for many years, I don't actually do this anymore, but for many years, I wore a special ring, actually. It's like a prop, <laughs> like, an, like, an, like an actor. And, and, and you'll see why this was meaningful to me in a second. The, so, so the ring, the ring um, had a st- ha, ha, still have it, has a stone in it. Um, the stone is a tiger's eye stone. Mm -hmm. It's a stone, the stone that my great uncle, he found the stone on the beaches, uh, of the South Pacific in World War II. He came back and he had that stone made into a simple silver ring featuring the stone. And he wore that all the time. So when I was growing up, I would see him wearing this ring and it was a very, it's a really unusual ring and it's really cool looking and i didn't really put two and two together until ultimately i inherited the ring because his wife knew i really enjoyed it and he ultimately had alzheimers and wasn't wearing it and so 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 she gave it to me and i started to really actually when i got older learn about how that ring came to be and it, it started to represent courage to me like the fact that like gosh this you know, this guy was in the Navy. He was young. He that was really hard for him. You know, like I was trying to put myself in his shoes. And I was thinking to myself, man, if he could do that, leave his family, go off to the war, I, I can give a speech. You know, <laughs> like and so like I wear that ring every single time I spoke, every single time. And I it wasn't like a magic bullet or anything, but but it it gave me just a little tweak of courage, kinda. And yeah. so that's that's another example of customization. Um, there's so many ways you can customize, but th- those are some some examples. And I find it really powerful for people in stepping outside their comfort zone to realize they have more power than they think in all sorts of ways to to kind of tweak a situation to kind of make it their own.
0: Andy, you know it's 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 funny as you were mentioning the ring. I I have a ring too. Now it's not nearly as as. Um... It's not really nearly as as family-oriented as, as yours was. That was a really powerful. But I, uh, my my kids gave me, uh, through my old podcast co-host, actually, Michael Schechter, who, worked in the, who works in the jewelry industry, a Green Lantern ring. So I have a custom ah. Green Lantern ring because I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. Anyone listening to the show that's listened for a while and followed my work knows I've got Green Lantern everywhere, mainly because Will is the enemy of fear. And we talked about fear off the top of the show. So when I wear this ring, it's it's very much a... OK, I'm doubling down on my efforts on whatever I'm doing and I wear it. And then when I speak, because I do speaking as well, uh, I have socks that I got uh, from um, Chris Gillibo's World Domination Summit uh, first year. And those are my speaking socks. And I only wear them when I speak. And they are now, I guess, eight years old. <laughs> so they only they'll get worn very often. So they're not like eight year old socks, really. <laughs> but but I agree, like avatars, like there's such an, a power. And when I, when I work with people, when it comes to productivity and this idea of time crafting, I say, you know, you have to approach your tasks with, with a personalization component, with a customer, because if you follow, if you, if you try to do them the way that everybody else does them, you're not going to, it's not going to be nearly as powerful. So I can appreciate that a lot, but it was, as you were mentioning the ring, I'm like, you have a ring too? And I was, I'm like, I wonder what member of the Green Lantern Corps Andy is, but no, I'm glad you went the other way with that. Um, there's a third strategy too, isn't there? There's a third way to do it. So let's dive into that.
1: Yeah. So the last strategy, uh, is, is really, um, it's really more of a capability, uh, but it's a learned capability and I call it clarity. And I found that people who are more successful at stepping outside their comfort zone were, were better able to, Kind of not let emotions their emotions in the moment hijack them and, uh, and and do what often people do is catastrophize, which is sort of thinking worst case and then putting some high probability on that worst case. we were talking about speaking before, so for example, the idea that, you know, if you're considering uh, giving a speech that could, and, and you're afraid of it, if you let your emotions get the best of you and you catastrophize, you'll think, you know, I, I'll never be able to do this successfully. I'll be a complete failure. You hear the extreme words there. It's almost like a boat in, the, in, in a way, in sort of like a rough sea uh, waving back and forth. And sometimes people go to the opposite extreme where they say, I'm only going to give a speech if I could be the best Ted talker ever immediately. And sort of, I think our emotions in a lot of cases when stepping outside our comfort zones in these potentially scary situations drive us to these extremes. And what people who I found were more successful were able to do was to kind of normalize the situation, to say something to themselves like, yes, to have that ability to step back, have that perspective, say, you know what? I probably won't be the best TED talker ever here immediately. I probably also won't, make a complete fool of myself. I'll probably, you know, have some positive moments, some maybe less positive moments, but I bet you I will learn a ton and and, and, it'll, and it'll probably be better the next time. And so to have that emotional grounding, I called clarity, uh, to be able to step back and take a bit of perspective on yourself and the emotions you're experiencing and not let them hijack you, that was the sort of third kind of key capability mm-hmm. I saw in people who are more successful. Um, and, and if I could say one more thing, mm-hmm. um, The the reason these strategies, and this is really important, I think, the reason these strategies are so important, uh, conviction, customization, and clarity, the reason they're important is because they nudge you in a situation where you're considering avoiding, as we talked about before, they nudge you to actually not avoid and to actually try something. So if door A is, "Eh, I think I'm gonna give this a pass or procrastinate or whatever it is, and door B is, Okay, deep breath. I'm going to give it a shot. If you can get to door B, and that is where the magic happens when stepping outside your comfort zone. That's what I found. And the reason that that's where the magic happens is because if you can actually try something outside your comfort zone, you can benefit from self-knowledge and discovery. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this for people learning, you know, trying to step outside their comfort zone in something that was scary. They give it a try, maybe buoyed by conviction, customization, and clarity. They give it a try, and they come to the realization very quickly that either or both, huh, this wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Or, or it could be and, I'm actually a little bit better better at this than I thought I was, right? So that is very powerful. The idea that if you can realize through your own experience that this isn't as bad as you thought it was going to be, and you're a little bit better than you thought you were going to be, that will likely kick you out of the avoidance spiral and push you into a sort of attempting, approaching, trying out spiral so that the next time around you'd be like, oh. I think I'll try that again, which then builds your self-efficacy, builds your competence and so on and so forth. And it's a very different picture over time compared to the sort of avoidance one that we talked about earlier, where you avoid, it becomes harder. You avoid again, it becomes harder, which is a vicious cycle.
0: So... Uh, as we get close to wrapping up here, and, and I, I totally hear you. By the way, it's it's, it's I I kind of find it a little bit funny that there's some avoidance going on in your house right now as you move around. <laughs> the- <laughs> yes, yes, there's some banging in my house. Yes. Um, so uh, by the most probably
1: the most active uh, podcast I've been on, <laughs> where I'm like moving and dodging the sounds here and i hope it's okay for, although maybe it adds some context for the listeners
0: yeah, you're getting you're, you're getting you're getting some steps in too <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. uh, <laughs> um so one of the things that you talk about in the third part of the book uh which and, and you know the the again i think that when you read when you read reach you're going to find that there's applications and that's what what a great book does is that it can it can it can give you application in various areas of your life it's not so driven by like again you talk about who you spoke with not just high level. exactly. You talk with people from all walks of life, but this idea of how to make new behaviors stick. And one of the things that that stood out for me, especially related to, to time management and the, and the time crafting that I talk about is uh, one of them was like creating like this, this mechanism, like a forcing mechanism to avoid avoidance. So almost yeah. yeah. And, and so one of the examples I use for my own work and when I work with clients is this idea that You know, we have this open space in our schedule. I'm not a big believer in in scheduling every moment of the day, but I believe in giving every day a theme or giving periods of time theme uh, times some some theme. So that way, what happens is when you are sitting there and you're ready to move on to the next task or you wake up first thing in the morning, the question isn't what am I going to do today? It's what day is it? Like, for example, today we're recording. It's audio day. We actually adjusted our meeting time. Uh, to earlier in my time zone. And you're like, are you sure you want to get up that early? I'm like, Tod- I didn't tell you this. we were I'm like, no, today's my audio day. So it's it's where my focus should go. So therefore, that's why we did that. I could we could have moved it to another day. But Wednesday is the day. So that way, when I wake up on Wednesday, I have I know it's audio day, and I'm funneling my focus, which keeps me from avoiding certain either moving forward at all or just taking dribs and drabs off my to-do list. So that would be an example. There's other things, and this builds resilience. And I know you talked with us, can you talk about how important this idea of building resilience is and what some of the practices that you found work well, and maybe one that works particularly well for you, like I just gave that works well for me.
1: I found uh, in terms of resilience, um, I found uh, that, that it's almost like practicing, you know, any skill building any muscle because building your self-efficacy in some ways your self-efficacy which is really like your it's a psychological term for like Mm -hmm. essentially your your confidence yeah it's it's like a combination of confidence and competence um it's like building a muscle and so i I always like the idea um of you've probably heard of the idea of like couch to 5k or to 10k
0: i did it (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man! Okay, well then you're the expert because I've never done it. But I, I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you literally step off your couch and run a 10k. Right? There's a process.
0: No, there's definitely a process. I mean, there would be <laughs> there would be a lot more um, fatalities. I think. If exactly. just
1: did that. Well, well, that's that's the analogy that I like to use because and I'm glad that that resonates because you're not going to get off the couch and run a 5K or a 10K or whatever it is. You're going to go in steps. You're going to create a plan. You're going to walk around the block. Next time, run around the block, whatever it is. Then you're going to do a a, a little bit more, a little bit more, and you're going to build up that muscle, build up that self-efficacy, avoid avoidance, and so on, and that builds up your resilience because you're going in a stepwise stretch You know, your stretch. These are stretch goals, but not impossible goals, Mm -hmm. right? It's not easy. It's not impossible, but it's a stretch, and that's where you want to be consistently. But of course, where that is for you, where your stretch is, is always going to be changing and developing as you grow and develop. And so, there's a level of self awareness there in terms of what you know, where you need to have that goal be to make it a stretch, because it's going to change over time as you grow and develop. And I think that that is really essential for ultimately building your resilience. And it's a very thoughtful sort of reasoned process, I think, probably in line with a lot of the productivity tips that, mm-hmm. that that you talk about, I guess.
0: And Andy, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, I did the couch to 5K to run a 10K. And the difference between a 5K and a 10K is negligible. Once you've got, once you're able to run a 5K, the steps to getting to run a 10K are so much, you know, they're not as far. So you talked earlier about like, oh, wow, I can do this. I literally... Did the Couch to Five K program? It would have been last uh, uh, as we're recording this. So It would have been in uh, late 2017, and I ran a 10K. Most of, I ran actually all pretty much all of. I think I ran 8K of the 10K. I think I walked for maybe like a 1K of it. Uh, so I ran. I ran pretty much the majority of it after only getting to that 5k mark, because uh, like you said, I built the muscle. I, 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 you know, I did it consistently. And yeah, the way that program works, is it says, okay, you're going to walk for five minutes and then run for one, walk five. And then that slowly gets down to the point where you're running for 30, 40, 40 minutes and you're not walking at all. So absolutely. That's a great, that's a great analogy. Now, what about free? Like, so what, what mechanism has worked, especially for you to build resilience?
1: well it should be product it should be productive or build resilient
0: to just to build resilience like which one where you could say whether it's to be productive whether it's like if you want to make sure that you're able to make sure that you can keep some of this these these habits stick so that you can feel like hey yeah. you know, reaching outside your comfort zone is is not a bridge too far for you yeah, what yeah, which, yeah. which mechanism works best have you found works best for you or if 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 there's too many which one did you find was the is the easiest one for someone to hold on to if they're trying to start to build that resilience and reach outside their comfort zone i
1: think that i think that i think the answer to both of those questions is um is repetition okay um you know you can you can really work hard, let's say you have a key layoff, for instance, and you are you have a very hard time delivering bad news, and it's really hard for you to do, but you apply a lot of these tools, you learn best practices about how to deliver bad news, you sort of become attuned to your pain points, you work on overcoming them, and so on and so forth, and then you have to do that layoff. And then, you know, which th- th- then then you don't have to do another layoff for 2 years, let's say. And, you know, that would be a great situation right for your company. But 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 you're not going to build up the muscle of delivering bad news. Uh you're not, you know, it's it's if you don't have repetition, you're not going to be able to kind of build up that muscle and build up that resilience. I wouldn't in this case suggest like purposely laying people off to practice. <laughs> but, But but what I would do is I would, in this particular situation, now we're talking a very specific situation here, what I would do in this situation is thoughtfully consider other examples in your life where you need to deliver sort of quote-unquote bad news and be very thoughtful about those and to really sort of, Think about those and to try to practice some of your techniques on those. Those could be at home. Those could be at work. Maybe it's a performance review. It's sort of where you have to deliver some negative news and so on and so forth. Maybe it's a bad example. But my point here, I think the the actual... Philosophy is a really useful one. Whether the example or not sticks for people, is that it's really important to build repetition. Maybe public speaking is a better example. You know, don't don't just don't just gear up for a public speech if your goal is to try to develop your public speaking muscle and then do another one 16 months later. you're you're not going to it's not going to stick it's going to be like teflon you need to have repetition you need to build it up you need to if it's something you want to work on you need to think you know couch to 5k
0: style andy this has been great um the book is called reach a new strategy to help you step outside your comfort zone rise to the challenge and build confidence uh where can people get this book other than amazon which we know and that'll be linked to in the show notes as well as a whole bunch of other things that we talked about uh related both to your work and then some of the stuff like clarity and stuff that I've, I've talked about. Uh, but where, where can people find your work online beyond the book?
1: Yeah, beyond the book. So I have a website, which is uh, uh, com. My name is spelled A N D Y M O L I N S K Y. I'd imagine you might have that in the show notes as well. That's kind of the clearinghouse. I created a website the kind of website I would want to visit, essentially. It's got tons of videos and articles I write for Harvard Business Review and Inc.com and Psychology Today and lots of free tools and assessments and so on. And you can link up with all my social there as well, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and so on. So so, um, so I, I love to hear from people. I love to connect with people. So please, please come visit.
0: Thanks for joining me today, Andy, on the productivious Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And there you have it. Great chat today with Andy Malinsky. You can get all of the relevant links and other background information just by checking out the show notes, which you can get, of course, by looking at the transistor.fm website that the podcast is hosted on. Of course, you can also get them in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I hope you'll come back to listen to more episodes if you haven't listened to them before. We've got hundreds of episodes in the back catalog and if you want to support the show, then feel free to join us at Productivityist.com slash membership. And that's one way that you can help support the show. Another way to help support the show is to give a rating and or review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts. John Polster, the producer of the show and I, we look at these reviews and the goal is is to make the show better and reviews help us do that. It also helps people find the show as well. So I want to thank Andy for joining me this week on the show. I want to thank my producer, John Polster, for producing the show. And I'd like to thank you for listening. That's it for this week. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of the is podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going.